Talks listeners, we're excited for another podcast. My name is Roger Naren, and I'm the director of marketing for Man Talks. And I'm Connor Beaton, the founder of Man Talks. Once again, we are excited to bring you another amazing conversation with another inspiring individual. If you want to hear more like this, check out mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and videos from the actual live events. Today, we're excited to introduce to you our guest, Ari Mizell. Ari is the creator of the Less Doing System, which has helped thousands eliminate stress by automating and optimizing their lives. Ari and his team of uh, achievement architects, which is an amazing, amazing word, uh, at the Less Doing, More Living, focus on helping people improve their lives. They're all about helping you optimize your inbox, your health, your sleep, and overwhelm in general. So I'm totally looking forward to this. Less Doing More Living continues to grow in popularity and has become a platform for general efficiency consulting to businesses, entrepreneurs, and everyone else who could use a little more time in their lives. His Achievement Architecture program helps individuals and teams overcome challenges and be more effective. Ari's podcast and blog, which can be found at lessdoing.com, teaches you all about how you can use technology to simplify your life so you can enjoy family time and let devices take care of the rest. On top of this, he overcame painful and incurable Crohn's disease through a combination of yoga, nutrition, natural supplements, and rigorous exercise. He's an entrepreneur, real estate developer, Ironman competitor, author, speaker, and all-around amazing individual. It was an awesome, awesome conversation with him. So let's bring on Ari Mizell. You've got some living yet to do. I won't give up on you. See these machines Hello. Hey, Ari. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I got Connor here with me. Howdy. Hi, Connor. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. I, I don't know why I gave you the howdy. It's not something I usually even say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was weird. But yeah, he, that was that yeah. was weird. You're like, aren't you Canadian? Like, and, what's, what's and the he, howdy? And for? he tipped his hat while he did it. <laughs> no, I did it. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, big fans of the podcast and big fans of your writing. And yeah, just it's a, it's an honor to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Perfect. So uh, why don't we get started? You cool with that? Uh, absolutely. Excellent. So welcome to the show, Ari. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to give the listeners some context on today's conversation. So I'm wondering if you can um, spend a little time telling us about what you do. Sure. So I have a method of productivity called Less Doing that I created some years ago. And basically, I focus most of my time on podcasting and coaching. I help individuals optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives, including their health, in order to be more effective. Very cool. Yeah, so one of the things that we really talk about with the guys that are on the show is, you know, what they do is is awesome, but we kind of wanted to dive into what's your journey been? Like, what actually led you there? I, I read through your bio and kind of did some research on you and, and found that you've, you've lived a pretty cool life so far. So why don't, you, why don't you just give us a little breakdown of, you know, what your journey's been so far and, and where you started out, even just, just kind of going back to like your kid and where you grew up and uh, where you went to school. Sure. So I grew up in downtown Manhattan in New York City my whole life. And my father is an art dealer and my mother was a painter and basically grew up in sort of an entrepreneurial setting as it was. I started my first company, which was a website design company when I was 12. And then I had a couple other tech companies as I got older in high, well, in high school. <laughs> and then I went to the University of Pennsylvania to the Wharton School undergraduate where I graduated a year early 
in, with majors in real estate entrepreneurship and minors in art history and psychology. And then I went and worked in construction. <laughs> and so I basically uh, went upstate New York to visit a friend of mine. And while I was there, he was like, oh, you should see these buildings. It looks just like Soho 30 years ago. And uh, so I bought these buildings, these warehouses from the 1880s that were cigar warehouses with the vision of, this, of making lofts. I wanted to build a loft district in Binghamton, New York. And I, the, the, the rule was that anybody that worked on the job had to teach me their trade. So I spent the next three years learning and doing every construction trade there is. And it was the hardest work I've ever done in my life, but the most incredible experience as well. I learned how to manage a team, how to manage a project, how to deal with politics and legal aspects and all aspects of real estate development. And this was so good at that, that by the age of 23, I'd put myself into $3 million of debt. <laughs> and and uh, basically my, my, my emotional, uh, my financial, my my well-being was just completely in the gutter and I had this sort of necessary turnaround after I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which for those who don't know is a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract. It's very, very painful and considered to be incurable. I was taking a lot of medicine and getting sicker and weaker and was confronted after having worked three years, you know, 18 hours a day, very, very hard work was confronted with the reality of what would happen if I could only work one hour a day. And my response to that was to create a whole new system of productivity called Less Doing, where I would teach people how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives. And it grew from there. It became a, a, a blog, a, a podcast, a book, and now a full-on coaching program and speaking career. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. It's, you know, again, one of the things that we normally talk about is defining moments. And I think that you in your journey there just kind of unpacked unpacked a bunch of them for us so that's that's pretty incredible thanks thanks for sharing that with us what was it like i mean i did construction too as a guy i think it's kind of like a def default thing when you get out of high school and i don't know if it's the same for you and, and maybe for some of our listeners out there but for me when i got out of high school like i just i had no clue what i wanted to do and so my default was like well i could go do manual labor and so i went and did, i was like i'm just gonna go doing construction um was that kind of like what led you down that path or how did you how did you find yourself there well so i mean I, you know i'd majored in real estate uh but you know they, what you learn at an ivy league school about real estate has nothing to do with putting bricks on bricks and you know what it actually takes to to manage a, a team and and understand that and at, Honestly, I, I think that I, I am, I mean, I still am technically a real estate developer. I have my business, but I, I think that I am a really good real estate developer because of that. But more importantly, I think that what I do with less doing is a lot because of that. And what I mean is that I, I was managing a team of 40 guys that were all older than me, and I had no experience in what they were doing, but I had to manage that. And the only way I could shortcut that process was to let them teach me something. So also, I, I've, I've always believed in the value of not only manual labor, but understanding all the various aspects of a business that you're in, you know, top to bottom. Plus, The Fountainhead was a very inspiring book for me. And the, the, the journey I sort of went through, I felt like was very similar to the main character of the book, Howard Work. But no, I, I mean, I, I basically, it was like, it was fun. I mean, the, it was, a lot of it was, I mean, it was so hard 
but it was really fun. I mean, it was an incredible, incredible learning experience in all aspects. I mean, not only the construction and the project management and everything, but I was dealing with town boards and I was in the newspaper and on TV news every day almost. I mean, it's amazing looking back now and seeing how I was so bad on camera in the beginning and then how like I gradually got better. I mean, it was like a... Crash course doesn't even begin to describe what it was. Uh, I also heard you saying that you, you grew up in, a, in an artistic family. Your, your dad was an art dealer and your mom was an artist. Uh, I wonder if that played into you, know, you getting into uh, real estate development. And, and to me, that has an element of, you know, there's definitely an artistic element to that. Uh, you're still producing, producing a vision and, and using your hands and, and all those sorts of things. Did that play into it at all, do you think? Um, I mean, well... First of all, so my parents were part of the group that actually started Soho in New York City. So there was definitely that sort of, I guess, in my in my blood because that's what I was trying to do was create another loft district in Binghamton. And I, I, obviously, yeah, of course, there's some, there's some artistic element to it. But uh, I think it was just sort of like recreating history. And that also that was another thing, too, is that I, I always, always have loved history and Binghamton was the cigar capital of America or the, of North America at one point in the uh, the turn of the century, which which I still don't really have a good answer to why that is. But there were 120 some odd cigar factories in Binghamton, New York. So that's what that's what these warehouses were at some point. There were also a, a, a meat processing company called uh, William Darling, and I found there there was like a 4,000 pound old safe with all these papers in it. There was a personal letter to George Hormel of, you know, Hormel Meats now, like thanking him for his pork products. He like sold the guy an entire train load of pork for $23. You know, I mean, it's just amazing stuff like that to be a part of that. That's incredible. That's incredible. I think, you know, one of the things that really stood up, stood out about your journey is I think a lot of people almost overvalue and put so much stress on, on really formal education and they almost undervalue often the value of, of, of the education that you can get just by doing, just by going out and, and getting your hands dirty and like, you know, going and do, to do that work. And it sounds like through your journey, you kind of discovered that you discovered the value of, you know, both the education system and going to be a part of that, but also realizing that that maybe didn't give you the full set of tools that you actually needed to be successful in your industry. So then you kind of like went and got in into the shit, as I call it, but like into the thick of it and really, really got your hands dirty. Because a lot of people, that's where they struggle is they they think that they need to be on some level hands off when they get into the industry. And, yeah. and there's 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 so much value. Like I'm I'm kind of like you, where in that in that regards, not not the rest of it, but in that regards, definitely of I I've always seen the value of just manual labor is incredible to some degree, and it can teach you so much, and being in those circumstances can teach you so much, and the value of just like working with a team and building something and and starting from so almost starting from the bottom and working your way up a little bit, even though you might have. Uh, a much higher level of, of knowledge or wisdom, actually going down to that sort of minutia and then learning those skills can be so beneficial. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's, that's always been my, my number one piece of advice for young entrepreneurs was basically learn every aspect of your business from top to bottom. And you have to at least touch it and understand it. Because again, that's another thing is, as I was sort of like mentioning this before, there was no way for me not to get taken advantage of, not because people are bad. It's just that, that unless you 
if you have no idea what people are doing or how they're doing it, then there's going to be slip-ups. There's going to be mistakes. And sometimes, yes, it will be intentional times when people do take advantage. And you know, one of the nice things now is that nobody can tell me, oh, I can't do this you know, in terms of construction or, oh, this will take this long when I know that it will actually take a shorter amount of time. There have been two occasions where somebody told me that they couldn't do something and I actually took, took the tool or something out of their hand and showed them how to do it. Because I had such a crash course. And that, another thing is, too, is most people don't get to learn, especially developers nowadays, because a lot of them come from a finance background, not a construction background. A lot of them don't even get the opportunity to see some of the things that I have to not only see but do. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned you went to Wharton, uh, which is one of the most uh, prestigious business schools in, in America, if not the world. I, I'm assuming, did you you value that experience? And, and what do you think of the... Um, the value of a university college education these days? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I think that the, the experience that I had was incredible. I, I was there for three years. As I said, I graduated a year early. My grades were terrible. I actually got a C- minus in real estate development, and, which is really funny. I, there was definitely a value. I think it was an incredible, it was an important growing experience for me. I don't think that personally I took advantage of even a tenth of the academic uh, resources that I could have. Uh, and that's not to say that I was partying or anything. I mean, I, I wasn't. I was just, I, my mind was in sort of a different place. I was always, you know, interested in sort of running my own businesses, doing my own thing. And, and I knew that I wasn't going to go into finance as 93% of my peers did. So it was valuable. It was valuable. But I, I really, I, I see that the value of it, of a, of a college education going down over the time. And I have I have three little boys right now. The oldest is three and a half. And honestly, I don't know if college is going to be relevant by the time they're ready for it. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it's interesting. Like you talked about team leadership and you talked about entrepreneurship and getting into your business and, and really knowing it. And, you know, one of the stats that I that I read uh, was I think, I think it was 70 percent of CEOs don't even have an MBA. Mm-hmm. And and that that number is gradually getting bigger and bigger over the last, you know, 20, 20 or 30 years. And, you know, I, I look at myself um, and you know, like I, I, I'm kind of like in the same vein where, yeah, I oversee quite a big team and I don't have like my formal education. My, my degree is actually in music. I have a bachelor's degree in music. And, but I always say that that degree was kind of like my life degree. It really taught me about who I was as a person and gave me these like skill sets to perform and be on stage and, and really tap into who I was rather than the skill sets to, to go and be a really successful musician. And those skill sets have now transferred over into me leading, you know, teams of like a hundred people. So it's very interesting where I'm a, a fundamental believer in education is everywhere. And like, you can learn everywhere. And it sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you've actually had that same experience where you got to learn a lot through your university education and you got to kind of like go into the trenches and learn the other side of the spectrum there. And you, you've now basically combined those experiences to create what you created now in the world. Yeah, exactly. And I'm also a complete believer that good or bad, whatever happens in your life, like whatever gets you to the place that you're at, if that's a good place, then you're, then it's important. It's all integrated. Mm, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, less do less doing more living, and and uh, and kind of like dive into some of the work that you have there. So you know, usually on on your podcast, you like to ask the question, "What are the top three things that that people can do to be effective?" So 
Wonder, wonder if you had your own answers to those questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, sure. So the the very first thing is to create what I call an external brain, uh, and the easiest way to do that is is using something like Evernote. But a lot of people who use Evernote, I find, don't use it properly. The human brain is great for coming up with the ideas, but it's terrible at holding on to them. So you really need to offload ideas as much as possible. You need to overuse something like Evernote. Just fill it up. Don't If you have an idea, don't judge it. Don't hesitate. Don't think, is it good or bad? Just get it out of your head because ideas need flow. Uh, and I find that a lot of people don't do that. They try to hold on to too much stuff in their head. The second thing is that you need to be in the mindset that in order to, and this is not this is not my opinion, by the way. This is research based. In order to grow as a person and as a company, you need to be offloading seventy percent of what you do every year. You need to be making seventy percent of the things that you do obsolete every year, and that's a really interesting thing to tell people, especially when you're hiring them. You know, telling somebody, look. I'm hiring you to do this job. It's very, you know, it's competitive. You're going to be doing all this stuff, but I need you to be thinking constantly about the stuff that you're doing that you don't need to be doing. That's not important that you don't own. And, and our natural reaction is to take it all on, and especially it's a it's a big problem with men in particular. We we think that we have to do it all because if we don't do it all, then we're then then we're weak, and if we're weak, then we're not getting the promotion and not moving ahead. Yeah, well, that's a, and you actually said the keyword there, the promotion thing. People don't seem to understand this. They, everyone wants to be irreplaceable. But if you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. <laughs> that's true. So, so that's another one. And then the last one is that you have to identify your peak time. So everybody, at peak time, prime time, there's a lot of different names for it, but everybody has this time. And it's usually about 90 minutes per day where you are at your peak, meaning you're, you're basically in your flow state. You need to be able to – or that's, that's the time that you shine. that You can just really crush it, for lack of a better word. And – some people know when that is, like they have a pretty good idea. Mine tends to be between 10 and noon in the morning. Some people it's late, late at night. Some people it's really early morning. But you, and there's some ways to test this to figure out what it is. But you need to identify it and then respect it. And not only respect your peak time, but, it, but respect the peak time of other people in your life and your company. Mm. Great. So when, when, when you're working with your clients uh, through less, less doing more living, uh, give us an example of how you um, help uh, br- bring these, these actions to life. Sure. Well, so I have, I have two main coaching programs, basically. I have my high-level high mastermind, and then I have my sort of uh, my general, uh, it's called the, the Less Doing Boot Camp. And I, I try to get people to apply these fundamentals, but I really want to get people in this mindset of thinking of my framework, which I've said it a couple times now, but it's to optimize, automate, outsource. So you look at the things you're doing in your day and the things that are taking you time and the things that you're struggling with. And some of those are very surface, really, like you know, in, email inbox or phone calls or too much paperwork and then you figure out how to break that down automate as much as possible and then outsource anything that might be left but what i find more and more is that there is so much deep psychology related to what makes people more or less productive what stress what stresses them what motivates them what distracts them and that's that's what i end up working with a lot on people is sort of what what's holding you back like the mindset that i often deal with with people also is that i'm the only one who can do this you know, that's, people thinking that, I mean, I don't think that about myself and nobody should be thinking that because whether it's right or wrong, and it's usually wrong, it's very limiting. Well, and so, I, think, I think you touched on something pretty important there, which is like the psychology of it is that, you know, you talked about 70% of the business needs to be letting go of. And I think that's completely relevant to people's lives as well. And I think it's very counterintuitive, especially for men. Like, 
I think when I do work with men, I, I call it the Atlas complex, right? A lot of guys have this Atlas complex where they think that they need to take the world on their shoulders and then try and run with it or fix it. or And that usually equates to them needing to do so much that, that they almost feel like they, they overwhelm themselves and they jam pack their schedule and, and they, they don't actually have time to go and live their life. So they turn into this sort of like a type person that, that is just constantly doing and, and never actually living. So, I, I mean, I love the concept. I love the idea. And, you know, one of the things that you kind of talked about is your client's stress and like the, the psychological aspect. How do you really like zero in, you know, for our listeners out there, for the people that are kind of tuning in and, and maybe, you know, our conversation has piqued their interest of like, oh, okay, how do I do that? Like, how do I actually get some of that clutter out of the way. How do you, how do you zero in on that stress that might be stopping them from actually letting go of some of that stuff in their life that, that would allow them to live a little bit more? Well, and that's really what it is, the letting go thing, because a lot of this, the majority, the vast majority of the time, people are just in their own way. And a lot of what I do is trying to get them to see things in a different, a different light. The easiest, well, not the easiest, it's, a, it's the most straightforward way to get people thinking about this a different way is to set artificially restrictive limits on yourself in various parts of your life and see how you can make that work. So you guys know who Dan Sullivan is, right? Strategic coach. So Dan is, one of the things that he talks about is that 2x thinking is really bad for your brain. Whereas 10x thinking is really good for your brain. So he doesn't want people thinking how they can double their business. He wants people thinking about how they can make their business grow by 10 times because that requires you to think in such a different, such a disruptive, such an out-of-the-box way that you can come up with new solutions. Right? And, so, and, and in a lot of ways, it's less daunting to think about that 10, you know, that 10x versus what's, so, uh, what, you know, what's, what's a little bit more realistic. Right. But so it, it makes for a really good thought experiment. So the way I apply that is actually with having people set artificially restrictive limits. So, you know, the one I already mentioned, which was what if you could only work an hour a day? What would that require? And if people are like, that's impossible, it's like, well, no, it's not because I, that's what I, I mean, I had to do that. I did do that. Uh, I don't exactly do that now and I don't want you to do that, but it's really interesting to think that way. Like, what would that mean? Would that mean that you couldn't deal with email at all? Would that mean that you could only talk to one client? I mean, what would that actually mean? Um, so, but you can apply that on a smaller scale too. You, you have a room full of paper. Like this has happened. This is something that comes up quite a bit with with some of my older generation clients, particularly. But you have like a room full of paper. What if I told you that you were only allowed to have this one folder? That was the only thing you could have a paper in it. What would that mean? Well. That would mean you probably have to throw out a lot of stuff, recycle things, scan most of this stuff. And if you're going to scan it, you're going to hire somebody to do that. Or you're going to send it to a cert. Like it, it takes you down that rabbit hole, but in a really effective way. So start setting limits on yourself hmm. yeah. and work backwards. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds that sounds um, that sounds pretty incredible. I think Peter Diamandis touches yeah. on this in his in his book Old. I think he actually talks about the that that same concept, and and then he he kind of goes like the one the one step further and talks about the moonshot concept. And I, I love those ideas. I love the idea of of thinking in in ten x. So you know, what are some of the the things that this type of thinking has led to in your life? Has it has it just given you like the freedom in order to spend more time with your family and friends? Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, we're talking today on a Wednesday morning. I only work on Mondays and Wednesdays. 
So my, my work days are Monday and Wednesday from about 9.30 to about 4.30. Um, so now, now that doesn't mean that I'm not going to answer an email every now, you know, other days of the week. But I, the Monday and Wednesday are the only days that I'm working in the business where I'm actually interacting with other people. I have podcast interviews, I have meetings, I have calls with clients. Uh, all the other times I think that because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm working on the business. I'm putting myself in my real life so that I can actually come up with new ways and new methods and expose myself to new situations that allow me to figure out the ways that people can do this stuff better. And yes, I spend that time with my family and my three kids and doing whatever else we need to do. And it's, it's, a really, it's a really powerful limit for me because I get an enormous amount of stuff done in those two days. Hmm. So, so when, you, when you talk about automating uh, you know, p- parts of your life, you, you're not saying that you're on, the, you're on your, you know, your smartphone all the time setting up all these sorts of uh, systems. This is sort of a set it and forget it sort of, sort of situation? That's exactly the words that I use. Perfect. <laughs> of course. It's like, it's like Ron Popeil. Yeah. That's right, yes. And every, now and then I, every now and then I give him credit for it. Yeah, yeah. The lawyers make you do it. Um, I, I'm assuming, though, that you, you, know, you, you do use a lot of mobile technology and all that, all that sort of stuff. Do you, do you set a time every day when you put the phone away, unplug? Do you have a meditation practice? How do you, how do you like to center yourself? So I don't have a specific time that I put the phone away. When I'm at home, I try to plug it in by the wall as much as possible and then just not not only look at it every now and then. But that, that doesn't always work out that way. But it's okay, though, in my case, because uh, email is not a distraction. and It's never, ever a source of stress for me because I, the way I have things set up, my email is, is a source of excitement and joy, uh, usually, um, 99% of the time. So I do have a meditation practice. There is a podcast called the, the Daily Meditation Podcast. Mary, Mary Meckley, right? Mary Meckley, yeah. And she is she's awesome. And basically, I make it... A requirement to listen to her podcast every single day. I don't always get through the entire thing, but that's okay. Uh, and I'm a big believer in like a little bit is better than nothing. So I usually get through the whole thing, but that's what I do every day. And 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 a lot of times I'll, I'll walk while I'm doing that. I'll walk the dog. I might be walking the, the twins around in the stroller. Like it's not me sitting in a room quietly with my eyes closed. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So I mean, just getting some insight into some of the things that you really like to do. I'm just kind of I'm just actually totally curious, like what, what inspires you? Like what really lights you up? Like you talked about, you talked about like your email excites you and like walking the kids and and the dog and stuff like that. Um, I love the fact that you have twins. That's amazing. Are they twin boys or twin girls? I have three boys, twin boys and and an older boy. Wow. And how, how old are they? The, the oldest is three and a half. The twins are two and a half. Oh, man. God, God bless your wife. Yeah. yeah. You have yeah. your hands full, my friend. Um, yeah, but I'm just, I'm very curious. Like, what, what inspires you? What really lights you up and, and fuels you? Uh, they do. I mean, really, I'm really kind of obsessed with my kids. So that's, that's a big part of it. And the thing is, a lot of that time with them puts me in these situations where I then have to figure out how to make these other things work. You know, it's last two weeks ago, my website got hacked and it was on a Friday and I really had to deal with that. But it ended up taking like half an hour of my time. It, it, the fix took two full days to fix, but it took about a half an hour of my time. One of which you know, you can say this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I was on, a, I was biking around our property and we have a country house and I was biking around the property with 
the two, two one kid in like the seat and two kids in a trailer and every few minutes I just had to like respond to a quick email while I was doing that but it ended up meaning that I was not stressed because it was getting handled by systems that I have in place and by outsource partners that I have in place and I was able to focus on it and it's like look I have to I have to get this done without really detracting any time if possible from what I'm trying to do it also means that I get to I you know I can travel for work when I need to and that's a, I mean, that's always a nice experience, sort of the way that I have it set up, so that I can do speaking engagements. And I can I can really spread the message of less doing. Very cool. And well, what frustrates you most in life? That's a good question. I guess this is a minor frustration, is that, but it's something that I've learned to like live with and accept. Is that I don't have a specific routine every day because we have so, we just have so much variable var, um, variability in our life with the kids. You know, one morning we may be up at. 6.30 one morning we move up to 4.45 and you really never know and so that makes planning a little difficult and I applaud the people who can, who get up at you know 4.30 and spend an hour journaling and exercising and those are all great benefits but it's just not something that's realistic in my life as much as I would like to be able to do that so there are certain routines that I would like to have in my life that I don't but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily create some big source of frustration. I just see it as another sort of challenge to, to work through. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's awesome. I think for a lot of the listeners out there, that'll probably re- resonate with them. I know that for myself, you know, personally, I, I, I struggle for a long time with wanting to have this like set routine and this almost like militaristic, like, okay, I get up at 530. That's well, a very male thing. Yeah, know, right. Yeah. It's just like this, like alpha, I, I got to get up at this time right. and I have to do these five things by this time. And if you don't do it, you're a failure. Yeah. And, and if I don't do it, I'm setting myself up for failure. And it was, but it was almost like I was, I was doing that almost as like a form of getting to self-deprecate, right? Because then when I didn't accomplish one of those things or two of those things, or if I just, you know, friggin' slept in and didn't do any of them, then it was like a, an excuse for me to to almost just like hammer in on myself. And the, the cool thing was that once I just kind of like let that go and, and let my morning routines flow, a lot of those things started to occur naturally. So have you found like, did you struggle with that for a while where you just like really wanted to have those routines and then obviously you have kids and then once you kind of like let the flow happen, it's just a little bit more organic? Um, yes and no, you know, so yes, mostly, I mean, like it used to be nice to get up and make, make a breakfast and maybe go like, just have a few minutes to yourself with them. But usually now one of us is, I mean, we're woken up by a child for the most part. Uh, so my response to that is that I, I've created a, a variation of a routine. So basically there are five things that I need to do every day in order to feel like I've met my routine and also I think to sort of like keep me even, uh, and, and as long as I do those five things at some point in the day, then I'm good. And so would you like to know what they are? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're like, we're just like waiting we're huddled, on... huddled over the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So one of them is exercise. And I, I, again, I said, as I said, you know, something is better than nothing. So I, I box, so that's but that's not every day. I usually box twice, sometimes three times a week, and that's by the way, like the greatest thing in my life. I love it. Just <laughs> it's so good for me. It's so good for my relationship. It's just so good. But, but if, Con- Connor and I are shadow boxing right now. Yeah, yeah. perfect, awesome. Uh, so the but 
if I'm not boxing, then it could mean one push up. It doesn't usually mean that. It'll usually mean, you know, one thing I like to do, really, which is really quick, is I'll do uh, 50 push ups and 50 air squats, which takes like four minutes. Um, so that's great. But if I can't, if I really can't do that, then it's like 10 push ups or, you know, five squats or something. But just something that I get moving. Fortunately, I'm pretty active. Like I have a very active lifestyle and there's a lot of really good research that shows that an active lifestyle where you're moving around constantly is is as good if not better in some ways than structured exercise, you know, for a half an hour or an hour a day. But so that's one thing. The second one is that I I really really work hard on limiting sugar in my in my diet because it's just messes with your hormones too much and in my case it's just like uh, it's inflammatory it's just something i really try to avoid the third one is i play peak which is the brain training game it's like lumosity but i think it's a lot better and that's just something that i find like honestly it just keeps me sharp and it's something that i can do that takes a few minutes that just it's good for me the fourth one is to meditate, which I already explained. And then the fifth one is to speak to a therapist. So there's a service, and this is something that I think a lot of men don't like to admit. A lot of people don't like to admit. But I think that more people really would benefit from speaking to a therapist. And there's an app called Talkspace that I use. And it's basically an app that allows you to have unlimited texting through their secure app with a dedicated therapist for like as little as I think it's as little as $12 a week. And it, what I don't look at it so much as like therapy. What I look at it is that I'm writing a journal and somebody is reviewing it. And it's been extremely powerful. I've spoken to her about business stuff, relationship stuff, family stuff. And it's just amazing to me that a guy will take his car to a mechanic, yeah. but he won't take his brain to a therapist. Right. Or, or we're willing to uh, to hire a coach to help us through a business problem, but we're not willing to you know sit down and have a conversation with uh, a trained professional. Exactly. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's interesting. Like, sorry, I, I just wanted to like I wanted to let you finish first. <laughs> no, it's just that. So if I basically need to hit those five things, amazing. Yeah, amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I, those. I mean, those five things are pretty incredible. I just, I wanted to touch on that that one last point that you that you mentioned there. I think. You know, to be honest, like one of the reasons why I started Man Talks was because of that exact lack of space, that the exact lack of um, basically time and space and and willingness for men to go and, and share their voice. And and you know, guys are like dying to just get out there and tell people what's actually fucking going on in their life. And and the the cool thing is is that when you give them the space to actually share and it's a safe space they they have the most incredible things to say and you know to to get to create a space where their voice can be shared in an authentic way not in like a group therapy kind of way not that there's anything wrong with that but what we do with man talks is is instead of creating almost like that you know men's group which is there there's a lot of them out there we basically open up a forum and invite men and women in to hear somebody's journey and i think that that's that's kind of the incredible thing is it's a little bit of a, a different space and i i encourage people to find those spaces out there in the world and and to really tap into them whether whether it's this app what was it called again space talks talk space talk space okay so i just have it backwards <laughs> but you know like really encouraging men because as you can hear like 
you know, you're a very successful guy and, and it sounds like you've really done some incredible things in your life. And the, the fact that you see the value in that should just kind of tell people that there is value in it and that it's actually okay. I think that that's the thing. Like, did, did you ever have a time and space in your life where you thought that going to talk to somebody like that was, was wrong or that there was something wrong with it? No, not at all. No? Cool. That's uh -huh. good. That's good. I mean, I think that some guys definitely go through that where they're like, oh, I can't go do that. I have to, you know, <laughs> I can't I can't go talk to a therapist or I can't go speak to somebody about what's going on. I need to hide all that kind of shit that's happening in my life. Again, it goes back to that whole, uh, you know, I don't want to be seen as weak. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, like, you know, what, what's one of the biggest challenges that you've, that you've faced in your life and, and how did it impact you? I mean, the biggest challenge would have been Crohn's for sure. I mean, and that's just, that's been the basis for everything that I've been doing. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and how did, how did your, um, how did you, you talk about you cured your, your own disease. How, can you walk us through how that process was? Uh, so, I mean, nutrition was a big part of it. You know, uh, good fats, low sugar was sort of the main part. There was supplements I played around with. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of technical stuff, but, I mean, the big thing, honestly, was stress management, and that was really what less doing provided was that stress management. So, uh, I mean, that yeah, that I could I could give you like a whole explanation of stuff, and and it it would be useful. But it, the problem is, is that you can change these things, but and you can try supplements, and you can try adding things, but if you don't change your lifestyle, then it's not going to do any good. Right. Mm. Right. Are you um? Do you, do you have a mentor in life, or or have you had a mentor in life? I've had several actually throughout my sort of adulthood, but there were a couple in college that were were really really important. And it's funny actually the the real estate class that I got a C minus in that professor and I were very friendly, and he was he was a really really good source of knowledge for me. Excellent. What sort of impact did he have on you? Well, I mean, he so he after like the third class where I was doing pretty badly. Grade wise, he was like, you know, you should definitely not work for a big company because you'll get fired in about three weeks. Yourself, <laughs> <laughs> and so he he was sort of like a guiding light in a lot of ways. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I love the I love like just direct feedback. Yeah. <laughs> it's just no hold bars. Something about mentors have the, the when they when they give you that feedback, it has a tendency to you know change your life. <laughs> yeah. Are you uh, are you a mentor or uh, I mean, obviously you're a role, a role model for people, but are you a mentor to anybody specifically? So I, I have my own certified coaching program now. So I, I actually train coaches in my methodology, and so I would say that that's probably yeah they're they're definitely mentor or they're my mentees. That's, that's a huge yeah absolutely. And so who do you go to these days for advice? Well, in some cases, I actually go to that group because the my coaching group has become such a it's one of the things I love about group coaching as opposed to the individual coaching is it's a really it's a really a two way street. And sometimes they just provide, I mean, not sometimes, a lot of times they provide just an amazing amount of feedback to me that I could never have given them. So that's, that's, that's typically who I'll go to. I mean, when there's specific, specific issues, I have friends that I, I go to, you know, for whether it's tech advice or business advice, but I, I've created a community around me, fortunately, that's been really supportive of all this. Incredible. Incredible. And just like on that on that sort of note, I know it's a it's a vague and maybe a, a tough question to to answer, but what is if you have it? What's like the one piece of advice that has always kind of stuck with you? Like the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? No doesn't mean no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, you know, or rather, maybe a, a more corny way of putting it is that impossible is actually possible. I mean, that's that's something that I've just 
I've always just kind of persevered and pushed through to try to to, to get. I really believe in that. Though, like the only, so a lot of times, a lot of times, the only way out is through. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I that's one of my that's one of my sayings as well, and I I, I love it. The only way out is through. Um, just to kind of shift gears a little bit today, like. You know, this uh, our, our main demographic is definitely guys and and men around North America. So, just kind of wanted to to pick your brains a little bit on on masculinity and and what you think that it means to be a man today. You know, I, I think that that has changed quite a bit, obviously, in, in at least in the last generation or so. And and the involvement with with our kids and raising our kids is is something that's really important now. And it's not something that that just I do. I mean, I see that with a lot of my peers that. The, the men are a lot more involved now in the day-to-day operations and, you know, I, I say operations, but that's kind of what it is of a household and the family. And we have to be such a model for the behavior of the ones of the people around us that it's, it's a different standard in some cases. So I think that it, it's showing that you can be strong, but at the same time you have to be able to be empathetic and be understanding to other people's needs, which may not have been so important before. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think that level of emotional intelligence is just so much more prominent in, in our day-to-day lives now as men and, and that it's it's almost, not that it's unacceptable, but it's it's definitely shifted where men are expected to be more emotionally intelligent and to be able to to show compassion and to show empathy to, to the people in their lives or even just the strangers that come into their life and, you know, cut them off in traffic. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, what's, what's one of the biggest challenges that you see guys facing today? Um, I think it is that, that sort of balance of figuring out like, well, I actually no. this is one of the big challenges I see for men nowadays is this constant need to be busy. And I think that, that applies in a lot of ways. And I feel like people are not realizing that they're they can be very productive in a short amount of time, and then everything else beyond that just ends up like it being the diminishing returns. So, whereas maybe before we were supposed to look and act strong, now I think people, a lot of guys think that they're supposed to look and act busy and successful, and even if there's not something to back that up necessarily. So, there's this idea that working smarter is not the way to go necessarily. You're just supposed to look harder, work harder, and grind yourself away, and that that to me is not sustainable. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I feel like over the past sort of like millennia, like the past hundred years, like that's just sort of perpetuated that idea that as a man, like you just need to work harder, you need to work harder. And I, th- I think that this has kind of been passed down from generations. It's almost like embedded in us as kids is that the, the value of working hard and, and quote unquote, like working for a living is really almost at the core of what it means to be a man. And you need to work your ass off and you need to get out there and, you know, crush it and all, all that, all that kind of stuff. And what it, what it leads to is, is guys having completely unbalanced lives. Um, so, right. and not, not all guys, but you know, for a lot of guys, they, they find themselves in a completely unbalanced space where, you know, they're not taking time for their, for their family or their friends. And all, all that they're doing is working. All they're doing is committing their life to one specific thing. So 
I just wanted to uh, change topics a little bit. As I, as we talked about before we uh, jumped on the call today, big, well, I'm a big fan of the podcast, the Less Doing More Living podcast. Um, it, for those listeners that have never listened to the podcast, definitely recommend downloading it. It's, it's an amazing, uh, amazing listen with Ari. And, and one of the things Ari likes to do is he starts off every episode with a, with a list of some amazing tools and tips and, and, and um, you sort of scour the web for uh, different, you know, all sorts of different ways to optimize your life. I'm curious, how do you uncover these things? Do you have a, do you have a system for uh, discovering? And, and when you do discover, do you have a filter for what is worth sharing and not sharing? Yeah, I, so I process about a thousand blog posts a day. So I was going to say you must, you must, because it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I just rock through Feedly basically and follow about 200 different posts. I don't read all of them in depth, of course, but I can see enough to know that something is interesting and then I can share it and then it goes into my Evernote and then I can review that and share it on the podcast. Um, but in addition, I'm very excited and fortunate now that that because of the podcast and because of whatever I've been doing, people come to me now with really cool stuff before it even comes to the public eye. But you must get a lot of shit too. <laughs> uh, yeah, some. No, you know, uh, some. I'd say like 70% of the stuff I get is really cool. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. And on, on the show, have you, um, if you're willing to share, have you had a favorite guest? Uh, well, <laughs> put you on the spot. <laughs> no, that the, it's not. Well, I had a bunch that, I mean, I've had some, okay. So my favorite guest, probably just because it was like the craziest conversation was Jordan Belfort. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was, it, the, the movie is very accurate in terms of his personality and he's, his sales system is actually really legitimately impressive. Uh, but it was just, it was, it was a, it was a really cool conversation. Uh, but I mean, I've had Tim Ferriss on the show. I've had commander Mark Devine, Dave Asprey, David Allen, uh, all sorts of just really incredible people. So they all have different nuances to them that I really love. Do you have a dream guest that you, uh, that, that you have up, at, uh, you know, pinned on the wall that you're, that you're aiming for? You know, I have to say I've been very fortunate that everybody that I've wanted to have on the podcast, I, I, I've either had them on or they are currently booked to be on. Yeah. So it's fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's been really good. Uh, I, I don't like, yeah, it, it's been really good. Actually, you know what? That's not true. There's one that I think would be amazing. Uh, would be Tony Robbins. Mm, perfect. Yeah, T. Robbins. Tony, if you're out there, uh, drop Ari a line and get on the show. And, and us yeah. too. Yeah, and, and, then us, and then us immediately after. Yeah. After yeah. people contact my people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Is there, uh, sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, is there like a, a favorite question or like a favorite hard-hitting question that you love to ask, uh, ask the people that are on your podcast? Uh, the last question I always ask people is the one you, you know, how do you, what are your top three pieces of advice to be more effective? And that's, they usually get some pretty diverse answers. <laughs> and when, when you do, inter- when you do interviews with other, uh, with other people or other podcasts, is there a question that you've never been asked that you've always wanted to be asked? <laughs> that's a good one. No, I, I mean, I've been on a lot of interviews at this point, I think, and some, some people have some pretty creative questions. So not that I can think of, uh, no. No. <laughs> how about how about what's the best piece of relationship advice you can give us for all the guys that are out there listening? Ooh, that's probably the area of my life that I'm the worst at. So I don't know. Uh, no, I uh, gosh, I, I'd say that. It, oh, well, it's very on brand, I guess. But a lot of times, less is more. You really sometimes you're just better off listening than trying to add anything. And again, I know that's a hard thing for guys because we always want to solve everything. So, and, and what's your best piece of um, of uh, child uh, child rearing advice? Uh, give them autonomy. 
you know, I'm not saying like you have to be a free, what they call it, I guess, a free range parent now and let them run around and do whatever they want. There is an extent to that, but I think that uh, they need, you need to let kids figure out certain things for themselves, whether it's, you know, fighting with each other or sometimes, hopefully not, but maybe touching an electrical socket. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things usually only happen once. Uh, so there's, you know, that level of, uh, I think uh, giving them the autonomy to, to understand that they have that, that you're there if they need you, but that they can sort of figure out and should figure out something for themselves. That's very cool. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious, like I, I don't have kids, but um, I've always wondered like what having children actually does, does to, to, to you as a man. So like how is, how is having kids shaped your life so far? Oh, every, everything I do now is a decision that uh, is, you know, how is this going to affect my time with them, that, their behavior, anything. Like everything is runs through a filter now of, of being a dad. And I've, I've been told that – I don't have kids either, but I've been told that your um, view of the future and just you, you, you have all of a sudden a different perspective on what the future uh, looks like changes drastically. That I can't say that I've experienced actually. But maybe that'll come later. <laughs> did you did you find that there was some sort of like mental or physical shifts for you, like when you had your had your kids, or or is it just that that one main shift that the, the decision making process? I mean, it's a, it's a different motivator for sure. Like you're just you're motivated to to. I mean, you have to support and care for and be responsible for something else other than yourself, no matter how you put it, and no matter what happens. Whether you know you might get a divorce from your spouse, you you may. Uh, you may, you may wake up with a sore throat. It doesn't matter. The kids, the kids still need you. Right. Yeah. Ari, what's, uh, what's the one thing you're most excited about these days that you'd want the listeners to know about? So I, I'm really just my coaching programs that I have are just my, I, I live for them in a lot of ways. And my boot camp program is something that I think everybody could benefit from. And that's something that, that I'm very excited about. And you must've had some amazing success stories so far. Yeah, I mean, I've had people start new businesses, uh, overcome illnesses, you know, completely change every aspect of their life for the better, and and companies growing in ways that they they didn't think that they could with limited staff. I mean, it's, it's been really some amazing stuff. We're actually working on some actual case studies now. Very cool. Very good. I was going to ask what the like what the main benefits were, but I feel like you kind of just laid those out for us. <laughs> um, so, what's how can our listeners get a hold of you? Like the, for the people that are listening today, who honestly have have they have to have enjoyed this because you just the work that you're doing I think is pretty incredible and the concept I think most of the most people like I mean anybody can really benefit from it I think everybody can benefit from from this concept and the work that you're doing so how can how can they get a hold of you uh, so I mean you can find out everything about the blog the book the podcast the coaching programs at lessdoing.com but what I like to offer when I'm on these kind of interviews is that if people go to lessdoingcall.com they can actually book a free half hour call with one of my less doing certified coaches and it's a it's a real coaching call so they actually can find out some real actionable advice in terms of how to deal with email or or automation or things in their life and and i, I think they can really benefit from it that's an amazing offer aria we really really appreciate you having uh, having you on the show um i don't know if we i don't know if we've t- uh, if we have anything else to touch on did, did we miss anything with you I don't think so. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Perfect. Yeah, Excellent. We, yeah, we really appreciate it. So uh, check out Ari and his uh, business at lessdoing.com and join us next week for another episode of Man Talks. And check us out on mantalks.com and on Facebook and at Twitter at man underscore talks. <laughs>